0: You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. Matthew 15, verse 1. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, Why do your disciples disobey our age old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. And Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, 'Sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, You say they don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you said? And Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind, and if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. And then Peter said to Jesus, Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet? Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. But the words you speak from your heart, that's what defiles you. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. May God give us more understanding and application. As we go deeper into his word this morning, you guys can be seated. Interesting story about Jesus and his disciples we'll get a little deeper into. I was thinking about some of these disagreements that happen um, sometimes in churches, and that took me back to my first job or my first position in a church. I was a youth pastor at a church in Tulsa, and the church was beginning to make a lot of changes um, and, and when it comes to changes, and you're getting new generations, very multi-generational church, a lot of times when some things start to change with music, sometimes people get a little upset. Not that that would ever happen in any churches we know about, but it has happened. And there was two ladies who are sweet ladies, and I still remember them fondly, and I loved them. But they were, I mean, they kind of had a death grip on the music of the church. And the pastor was trying to help make some changes. And I was the associate, and I was definitely trying to make changes. I'm, you know, at the time, much younger, and I'm the youth guy anyway. So, you know, so, so anyway, we began to make some changes, and they just didn't like it. And they came and said, it's just very confusing of why we are singing you know these songs instead of these songs that are our songs. These are our songs, the heritage type songs, and it's very confusing to us of what you're trying to do here. And, if and and in this conversation with it was just a closed door conversation with these two ladies and and the pastor and myself, and they used this phrase: "God is not the author of confusion." That's what the Bible says, and it was one of those phrases I'd heard before. And all, usually it's in this context of I don't like something. And I'm confused of why you do like it. And God's not the other confusion. So let's just don't do it. And that was kind of the, the, kind of the atmosphere they were trying to create here was, we don't like this. We don't understand why. It's very confusing to us. And God's not the other confusion. So we just shouldn't even go there. We shouldn't even do that. And I thought, man, is that in the Bible? It turns out this is uh, one of those... Places like it actually says that in the Bible, but you can take scriptures out of context and stuff that sounds like it's in the Bible, and you can actually misuse those. And this is one of those. It's First Corinthians fourteen thirty three, and it says, "Well, I'll just turn there real quick, but, but it basically says God's not the author of confusion." It's in the conversation about um, different people trying to say the Word of God during a service at the same time. Instead of taking turns in, in Corinthians or in Corinth where this is written, they were all like, apparently, they were different people saying, The Lord says this and the Lord says that. And they were all at the same time trying to talk and speaking in tongues is in there and all this stuff. Like, all this stuff was very confusing. And so, in this letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, he says, For God's not the uh, God of disorder, but of peace. in all your meetings of God, God's holy people. It's like, you know, in the older version, God's not the author of all this confusion. And then I'm like, But keep reading. If you want to take a verse out of context and just use it, because the next verse, verse 34, says, women should be silent during church meetings. And I'm like, here's these two ladies coming in with, you know, taking this one verse kind of out of context and saying, God's not the other confusion. And I'm like, I didn't do it at the time because I didn't know it at the time. This was later on in Bible study. I realized this. And I'm like, but the next verse kind of, you know, takes, negates what you're trying to do. And so it happens sometimes that... (coughs) then the Bible verse can be taken out of context or definitely there's these phrases or cliches that you've heard the Bible says or the Lord says and it's just things that think are in the Bible but they're not It's a myth that they're actually in the Bible um, because it's definitely a myth that God's not the author of confusion because if you read the Old Testament narrative the God of the Israelites caused his enemies to go into confusion many times I mean he went to he took this small army against this army of multitudes and thousands and it says several times through the story and God sent confusion into the camp of the enemy so you can't just take a verse out of our phrase out of context and use it that way so think about you know these these phrases or cliches like well the Lord says or the Bible says something that you that people think are in the Bible but they're not or they probably not what are some of those? That was like the main one. Money's the root of all evil. People say that all the time. Doesn't say that, does it? No. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But we say the money, money's the root of all evil. Yeah. So there's one. Anything else? God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. <laughs> what else? Cleanness is next to godliness. that's where we're going to go today. Yeah, so, so we're going to, let's do this. We're, uh, we're going to get into this today. We're starting this, this series called Myth Busted, and the idea is just, there's, there are these phrases that are out there, and we're just going to kind of bust the myth that this is what the Bible says. Maybe that's a good, good saying, or what? But let's be careful about saying the Bible says it, or God does it. Um, so we're going to look at some of these. When God closes a door, He opens a window. We're going to look at that one. God helps those who help themselves. God won't give you more than you can handle. People will say that, you know, the, the Bible says God won't give you more than you can handle. No, it don't. We're going to talk about that one. Um, and today, cleanliness is next to godliness. These are what we'll do through the month of August. We'll be in this uh, kind of in this series doing this. And our thought process behind all of this is the reason is, is because knowing God and knowing his word is the cure for bad theology. Theology being your, our understanding about God and the things of God. Um, and so we want to get that right. I mean. We really do. Our understanding of God and things of God, we really want to get right. And so we need to have better theology than just saying or just agreeing with, oh, the Bible says or Scripture says. So here's our big idea for today as we get into Matthew 15 a little deeper. Jesus brings life transformation that begins on the inside and then becomes evident on the outside. And starting with that, this life transformation, this cleanliness that goes along with this, is actually a, a, another word, maybe even a better word for this, is holiness. We've heard this word holiness, probably most of us. Holiness. And so here's, the, here's a thought on that. Holiness begins with who you are, not what you do. That's where holiness begins. Holiness begins with who you are. It doesn't begin with what you do. Now, we're part of a, a you know, awakened Church is like this baby church plant of this tribe as this network of churches and this began like the late 1800s when this one guy was like you know all these denominations are all about just doing their own specific thing and so it was like the whole idea was come out of the denominations be separate from denominations don't be a denomination be be a separate thing be the body of christ be the kingdom and be about three things holiness unity and salvation and so we end up like, as, as this goes on, from the late 1800s to the early 1900s, people start, well, what does this mean? What does holiness mean? And so they started making a list, which is what denominations did. They was like, come out of the denominations and be separate, and now let's make a different list of what that means. It's, just, it's mind-boggling when you kind of look at the history of it. And they had holiness was defined some of the things that were the history. I'm not going to give you all of them because it's a lot. But one of the things is, was, was you could not, as a man, you could not wear a necktie if you were holy. I don't know if that's news to any of y'all, but that was like part of like early holiness movements, late 1800s and early 1900s in our country, because the necktie was a sign of the world. And you had to become not just just separate from the denominations, but you got to be not like the world either. And so you couldn't wear a necktie. Nowadays, a lot of times you'll walk into a church, and if you don't have on a necktie, they'll be like, what's wrong with you? We wear a tie. We wear a tie in church. Here, not an awaken, obviously, but but it's like you know that that's one thing. Another one was was women don't wear pants. That was holiness. You know, if a woman wore pants, especially at a church, oh wow, that that's a, you have a problem. You are a sinful woman. And there's all kinds of reasons they had that 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 teaching for that. Another one was holiness was no jewelry. I even heard stories of like these these preachers coming and, and some women preachers coming and they had this strong message so much so that that women who got married. Then were like taking off their wedding rings and leaving them at like at the, like I'm leaving this at the church. I'm I'm don- donating this to the church because it was like you, keep, you know they felt such conviction. They wanted to be holy, so they didn't wear even a wedding ring anymore. This is this is like real history. That this is what holiness was defined as. Here's what I thought was funny. Like in the in the church, they had this this thing where you can't use an organ to play music in the church because organs are used in bars and at at sporting events, and that's a worldly instrument. And nowadays, it's like well, church is kind of drifting from that, but we went through a, probably a century of the organ was the church instrument, right? And then it's like, if you go back right before that, it's like, those, you can't have that if you're gonna be holy. And so, the, I, you know, holiness is not about all these things. Holiness, and this is where Jesus is gonna take us to, it's like, it's about who you are. It begins with who you are, not what you do. The question is, what does holiness look like? And it's a great question. We still kind of wrestle with some today. I think it just looks like Jesus. Holiness is, is when we look like, you know, we, that's kind of our thing. We're trying to be more like Jesus in every moment. That's what holiness is. So Jesus had traveled with his disciples to this place. Um, it's called Genesaret or the Lake of Gennesaret or the Lake of Galilee. Same place. If you read the scripture, and you see Sea of Galilee or Lake of Gennesaret. It's the same body of water, same region. So these Pharisees, these are the people who teach the Torah, the religious law they had. And they arrived from Jerusalem. So this is not close to Jerusalem, by the way where Jesus is. These, these Pharisees travel from Jerusalem, arrive at the, Guinness, the Lake of Gennesaret where Jesus is, and they come with this very specific question. And so being from Jerusalem, the people at the place where Jesus was, they would have like, seen these guys like, these are the legit, these are the, ones, these are the religious leaders from Jerusalem, the holy city. These are, it's, it's kind of intimidating that they would be coming here to, to, to where we are listening to Jesus teach because these are very important men. And they bring this very specific question to Jesus, all the way from Jerusalem. Why do your disciples disobey our tradition of washing our hands before eating? <laughs> I'm just imagining Jesus, really? You came all this way. You came all the way to Jerusalem to ask me why my boys don't <laughs> wash their hands <laughs> before they eat? Really? That's, that's what you want to know? And so they had this belief that this is grounded in. That food that they touched with unwashed hands became unclean or defiled. Like the food became like it's unclean food if your hands weren't washed. And if you ate this food that had become unclean, that made you unclean. And this isn't a physical thing, a physical issue. It was a spiritual thing. Like if you did not wash your hands, you touched the food, and the food became unclean. Then you ate that food. You became spiritually basically like you're a sinner. <laughs> that's, that's how it would be translated. You're a big sinner because you ate that food. You're unclean. And they made this part of their religion, just this ceremonial hand-washing to make sure that they didn't defile themselves by eating food this way. And so they made this a religious thing. And so when they did make it a religious thing to do, a tradition, it also became, you know, in their eyes, a sin not to do it. Now, if you grew up in the South, like probably most of us did in this place, and you have a mom like me, you probably heard, cleanliness is next to godliness. Wash your hands before you eat. It probably got asked a million times, every single meal, you sit down to eat, did you wash your hands? Yes, ma'am. Did you use soap? Go back and do it again. You know, I mean, that's like, and it's okay. Washing your hands before you eat—that's good. It's good to do that. It's not, but cleanliness is next to godliness is not in the scriptures. So Jesus does what Jesus does. He answers the questions of these, these Pharisees with a question. They ask him a question. He asks them a question. If you like read the Gospels, you see it all the time. People come and ask Jesus a question, and he'll ask them another question. So they come and like, "Why don't your disciples? We came all the way to Jerusalem to find out why your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat." And Jesus is like, "Are you want to make accusations? Okay, I got you. I got you. Why do your traditions violate the very word of God, the very commandments of God, this law, the Torah that you hold so high? The Pharisees—that was their thing. Torah was their thing. The law." And it was like you are violating the very law you hold so high because the law says to honor your mother and father in their old age, to look after them, to take care of them in their old age, the way they took care of you from being a baby and growing up. Now, Now the law says you are to honor your mother and father in old age by caring for them and providing for them. And you've created this tradition that if you'll give those funds to us, you know, for the church or the temple or the synagogue, if you'll give those funds to us, then you're allowed to tell your parents, sorry, we gave it to God. You're allowed to do that. And Jesus said, like, you created a tradition that actually is against the very law of God that you've done. You, 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 you cancel the word of God with your traditions, he said. We cannot be people who cancel the word of God or the will of God with our traditions. Keeping traditions doesn't make you holy. Not that all traditions are bad. But they don't make you holy. If mama taught you to wash your hands, man, wash your hands. And if she didn't, you know what? Do it anyway. It's really good. We're finding out more and more. The cleaner your hands are, the less susceptible you are to get sick. Keep your hands clean. Definitely. But cleanliness in this way, Jesus says, is not necessarily next to godliness. Because these guys had the cleanest hands of anybody. And he's like, your your hearts are far from God. Your hearts are far from God. Holiness isn't about what we do. It's about who we are. Jesus says, it's recorded in John 4, 24. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So this is what holiness is, worshiping God in spirit and truth from who you are, not necessarily going through a set of motions. So addressing the Pharisees, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah, and he says, your worship is a farce. Man, Jesus is just savage. Your worship is a farce. You imagine that, like, like Jesus comes in and he's like, he just beats up with all the denominational leaders. You, you guys, you got it wrong. You're a farce. Your worship is a farce here because you keep traditions and say the right words, but your hearts are far from me. If you keep the traditions and say the right words, but your hearts are far from me, it's a farce. It's not real. It's a, you're being a hypocrite and again all traditions aren't bad but we can't elevate them to sacred standing i don't want to do that and it's and it's easy to do it really is like this is something that we do it's kind of sacred and when we kind of were kidding around this morning about the tradition of how we start the, the worship gathering off every morning and and usually it's zach saying good morning welcome to awaken i'm zach this is quentin whoever else is here, john caleb whoever's up here and let's that's worship that's like that's kind of the thing we're like what if we change it what if we said my socks don't match today. Welcome to awakening. You know, just, just something random every time. It was like, ooh, don't mess with the tradition. We can't raise traditions to a sacred standard. Who we are takes precedence over the traditions we keep. Now, sometimes tradition is just peer pressure from dead people. Sometimes that's what it is. But holiness is... This becoming more like Jesus in every moment, and it begins with who you are, not what you do. And then when, you, when you're walking in this, you can't modify truth to fit your situation. You can't modify the truth to fit your situation. This cliche, cleanliness is next to godliness, is not found in the Bible. It seems to have originated from a sermon from a, a preacher from way back in the day named John Wesley. John Wesley was kind of the beginner of uh, like the Methodist church and, and kind of this holiness-type thinking, uh, mindset, theology, um, and he had this sermon in 1778, and it's recorded, and, and the sermon was called, Cleanliness is Surely Next to Godliness. So apparently, I think that's where it must have come from. I mean, that's the first time you can find that phrase in, in history found. It's not found in the Bible at all, but the idea is actually in some ancient Jewish or Hebrew writings, that they had some, some other things that aren't included in scripture, and there was this idea of cleanliness equated to godliness, and actually came not from their place, but from when they were in exile in Babylon. It was actually a Babylonian religious idea. These Babylonians who had all these pagan gods and they had this idea that the, more, the cleaner you are physically, the cleaner your body was, the more you were like a god. And they had actually kind of translated that into some of their Hebrew writings and that became, you know, something that just got picked up by these Pharisees. And the Pharisees had modified the truth now to fit their situation. And I think in some ways that's kind of what we do. We take a phrase like cleanliness is next to godliness and we'll say, well the Bible says, cleanliness is next to godliness because we want our kids to do the right thing. You know? The Lord says cleanliness is next to godliness because we want our kids to wash their hands before they eat. So we'll, 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 we'll modify the truth to fit our situation. Not that that's a bad thing to do, but it is bad to modify the truth to fit the situation. We could just say, hey, wash your hands and leave out that whole you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, especially the part where we say, well, you know, the Bible says, when the Bible doesn't say that. Wash your hands before you eat. Have you ever tried to modify the truth to fit your situation? You don't have to tell me, but, but I have. And if you've ever done that, how did it work out for you? Because <laughs> it usually doesn't. Usually for a while it happens be it's okay, but eventually it doesn't work. So at this point, Jesus calls the crowd to come and listen to what he's saying and to try and understand. Jesus calls us to listen because he knows our focus can easily be on the wrong things. That's why he calls the crowd up together. He says, listen, try to understand this. Our focus can be on the wrong things. He says, try to understand this. It's not what goes in your mouth that defiles you and makes you unclean. It's the words that come out of your mouth that defile you and show that you're unclean. And it's not hard to imagine here that the Pharisees would be upset by this because they'd be offended because he straight up tells them your worship is a farce. (laughs) He straight up tells them, it's not hard to imagine they would be offended by this because they're proud upholders of the law. And actually, they had become slaves to the law. And he calls them on it. So Jesus does, didn't worry about offending them. Because then when he's asked, his disciples are like, dude, don't you know Pharisees are upset? They're offended by what you're saying here. He's like, hey, uh, every plant not planted by God will be uprooted. <laughs> they're, they're blind guides leading blind people. And the Pharisees are, st- I mean, these guys came from Jerusalem. They're still standing there. I mean you know i'm like jesus they hear you <laughs> they hear you and he's like yeah blind guys leading blind people and blind leaders leading blind people you know what's gonna happen they're all gonna fall in the ditch and jesus is like, i don't want any of you to fall in the ditch because you don't have to you don't have to we experience this all the time because we live in a culture that invites us to embrace the philosophy of situational ethics we really do, if we think about it. We live in a, in a culture that teaches us, you know what, truth is subjective. And what's true for you, that's cool, but it might not be what's true for me. You've probably heard or had conversations like this. What's true for you is true for you, and what's true for me is true for me. This is situational ethics. And when this happens, it's like, hey, your truth ends up being whatever makes you happy. And my truth is up whatever makes me happy. And if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Right? That's, what, that's the way it is. So the truth is, God wants your heart, whether you're happy and you know it or not. That's the, that's the thing Jesus is trying to say. Don't let your hearts be far from me anymore. I want your heart, regardless of if you're happy and you know it. I want you, to be, I want you to have truthfulness and holiness. Jesus wasn't picking a fight because Jesus didn't have to. They came kind of ready to fight, it looked like to me. So he just meets everyone right where they are. And when these guys come to him, he meets them right where they are. If you're blind and struggling, Jesus meets you right where you are. If you're, if you're up to your neck in a sinful lifestyle, Jesus comes and meets you right where you are. If you're down and even depressed, Jesus will come and meet you right where you are. So Jesus meets the Pharisees right where they are. They came to pick a fight with Jesus, and he just simply speaks truth. It sounds harsh and sounds savage because we're not used to that. We're used to people going, it's okay, just do what you want, believe what you want. Oh, I'm sorry that offended you. Jesus is like, I don't care. They're blind guides. They're leading people in the ditch, and I don't want anybody in the ditch. I want people to have life, full and abundant and eternal life. And Jesus is basically saying, there's no argument, there's no debate. He just calls them on the crap. I mean, he just does. He just calls them on it. And this is what Jesus does. This is the journey that we're on, and, and he will... He meets us right where we are. And if he has to, he'll call us on our crap too. He will. He done it with me. He still does it with me. He calls us on this. Because this is a journey and we go spiritually as we travel with Jesus. And what you do flows out of who you are. It's not that what you do doesn't matter. It's that holiness begins, begins with who you are. Not what you do. But what you do flows out of who you are. So holiness is who you are, not what you do. You can't modify the truth with your situation. And don't be your own worst enemy. Don't be your own worst enemy. A number of years ago, and I... Uh, pastor, of the church it was on Easter Sunday, and I had seen this done, so it wasn't an original idea. I just thought it was really cool, and we had never done anything like it at the church I was at. And it's called cardboard testimonies. Maybe you've seen it. One, you hold up a piece of cardboard. One side says, "Mine said," um, uh, I think it said something like, um, "Full of questions, not sure if they're not sure of the truth." I don't have a voice, and the other side is, "Now I'm a preacher." It's like. What your issue was. And people, I, I, I said, here's what I want to do. And I kind of, a month before Easter, kind of told the church, here's kind of what I want to do. Anybody that's interested in doing this, let's get together and we'll put it together, what it looked like. So we had like 35 people. And every member of the band was doing it. And, and it was the very end of Easter. I did the Easter sermon, everything. We were playing this song, it's called 40, which is Psalm 40 from the Bible. Put the music by U2 in the 80s, and our, we were playing it on Easter Sunday. It was our kind of go-home song on Easter. And as we played this song, people just started coming up and filing across with their signs. They would hold up the sign that said one side. People had stuff like addict, stuff like atheists, all kinds of stuff, and they'd flip it over and say who they were now. And there were moments that was just like chilling, because. People would applaud for certain things. Certain people came up and hold up a sign, and they would applaud. It was like this great moment. And, it, and the band began to play. And as, as the vocalist quit singing, they brought theirs over. As the, the piano player stopped playing, she got up and walked over and did hers. Then the guitar player stopped and came over. So it was only the drummer still got the beat going, still got the groove going. So there's still this same groove through the whole thing. And then the drummer stops, and it's like totally silent now. And he picks up his and brings it up. And it says, I'm my own worst enemy. And he turns, I mean, everybody in there felt it. And he turns it over and it says, now I have victory in Jesus. And it was like this great thing of like, you could be your own worst enemy, but you don't have to be. You don't have to be. In what ways can you be your own worst enemy? I mean, there's all kinds of ways, right? I mean, we could beat ourselves up about stuff. We could keep going back to temptations and giving in to them. So. Self-doubt, we can doubt ourselves about stuff. Yeah, we can doubt, you know, the promises of God, that God is good and all kinds of things. We can become our own worst enemy on these things. Peter says, Jesus, Jesus, explain to us this parable that that says people aren't defiable what they eat. And Jesus is like, don't you understand yet? Come on, y'all, come on, y'all, get with it. Pay attention here, you can get this. He says, it's the heart that's the point it's the heart it's the heart it's the heart it's not what you eat it's what's inside already that's what you got to deal with and when he's talking about the heart he's not talking about your blood pumping muscle <laughs> he's not saying you'll get get me in there just watching the blood go by no he's talking about this the seat of our emotions he's talking about that 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 place of our, our thoughts and our feelings and and, and our, on a soul level who you really are when he says it's about the heart he says it's about who you really are at the level of your soul If your heart is unclean, what comes out of your mouth will be unclean. And he says, from the the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you the way these defile you. The way we think and feel determines how we live. It's the heart. The way we think and we feel determines how we live. This is because the way we think and feel is who we are. That's, that's like the essence of who we are. So don't be your own worst enemy. Don't, don't just seek healthy physical practices, which I hope you do, but don't just stop there. Seek healthy thoughts, healthy motives, because these are probably the healthiest spiritual practices we have, is to seek to have healthy thoughts and motives. Because the heart matters more than outward appearances. There's a verse in the, in the New Testament from a letter called Romans. It's Romans 12:2 It says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let God do it. When you feel negativity coming on, a thought or feeling that seeks to depress you or suppress you or oppress you, Think on God's Word. Speak God's Word. Get that Word planted in your heart. That's the key. That's why I'm like, I'm being on, man, read your Bible. <laughs> Not because, what's well, your Christian duty? Check it off. I'm a good Christian. I read my Bible. No, read the Bible because you need it planted in your heart because those thoughts are going to come that are like, you're no good. You messed up. You're, you know, God doesn't really care. And if you have God's Word planted in there, it's going to be growing fruit. That's good fruit that's gonna say, nope, I know the truth, I know God, and his word says, he is love. Let God transform you into this new person, his new person. And this is regardless of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Because God is far more interested in changing you than in changing your circumstances. That's been my story, still is. And I pray God change my circumstances all the time. And what I find is, God will change me before he changes the circumstances. And I'm so thankful because I've learned some lessons I wouldn't have learned otherwise. The life change Jesus has for you brings with it peace and joy and hope, regardless of those circumstances. And if that sounds too good to be true, it only happens through Christ. Peace and joy and hope, regardless of those circumstances. So Jesus brings this life transformation that begins on the inside and then becomes evident on the outside. So cleanliness is actually godliness. It has to do with in here. Not these hands because these hands are gonna get dirty and you got to wash them again and here's these feet they're gonna get dirty you gotta wash them again but in here in here can stay washed and stay clean and that's what we want so what's your next step I think the next step for all of us just be like as we sing this song um, the guys are gonna come up and lead us in just check your heart check like take that step of and say okay God I'm gonna check my heart right here because this is all about the heart And I want to have the right heart. Because I don't want to be someone who's full of slander and gossip and definitely not murder and sexual immorality. I don't want to be that. So i got to check my heart. Then think about what is maybe one specific step you could take to make you more like Jesus and how you think, how you feel, or what you do. How can you think or feel or do something more like Jesus? And what does that step look like for you? Lord, we just come to you and uh, we admit that we need you we need you in our lives. We need you in our, in our hearts to make our hearts clean, to make our hearts holy. And, um, God, we just want to, in this moment, just confess to you that we do need you. Sometimes we get a message like this, and we're like, oh, just try harder and just be better and just, you know. And it's not about that. It's about following you. It's about, it's about letting you fill us with yourself, your spirit. Because so we can't be clean on our own, no matter how much we wash. That's kind of another point here. No matter how much we wash our hands, we can't become clean spiritually. It happens when you wash us. And that begins with our hearts. So we're going to check our hearts now as we just come in and sing. It's going to be our prayer and our meditation, our confession, Lord, that we, that we need you. And God, we want you. We want to be more like you, Jesus, in every moment. And this is the way we do it. Lord, we love you. And now we just ask, Lord, you would lead us into our next step. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.church or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awaken Church L.A.